Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with The job of responding to the critics of theonomic ethics would be much easier if one did not need first to hack through a jungle of rhetorical overgrowth. Readers and serious students must be warned that a great deal of the anti-theonomic literature available to them is simply misleading and misconceived. Before anything valuable can be said in terms of theological interaction, much of the ground must be cleared of misrepresentations, emotional vehemence, emphasis complaints, unhelpful sloganizing, and false dangers. Greg Bonson, No Other Standard, page 37. This is Jason Sanchez, and I will be your host for this episode of The War Room. Bill Evans and I have big plans for this podcast, as we seek to interview men and women who are in the trenches of Christian Reconstruction. But first, my assignment is to lay down a good foundation of what is Christian Reconstruction. As my outline, I will be using the five points that Gary DeMar used in a book that I recommend everyone to read, Christian Reconstruction. What It Is, What It Isn't, which was co-authored by Dr. Gary North and Dr. Gary DeMar. You can also download it in audiobook format, which was narrated by Daniel Banuelos from ReconstructionistRadio.com. There will be a link to these in the show notes. So let's get right to it. What is Christian Reconstruction? And Gary DeMar starts off, quote, Christian Reconstruction, unlike Christian movements in general, has no central director, no overall tightly controlled strategy. What unites Reconstructionists is their commitment to certain distinctive biblical doctrines that are fundamental to the Christian faith and have been supported by the Church for centuries. And then he goes on to his first point, which has to do with Calvinistic soteriology. Quote, Number one, regeneration. Salvation by grace through faith is man's only hope both in this age and in the age to come. Only new men who reflect the image of God in Christ can bring about any significant social change, since social change follows personal change, and personal change can only come through regeneration. God's sovereignty as it relates to personal salvation and limited institutional authority is foundational for the salvation of man and the abolition of tyranny, end quote. So it all starts with the miracle of regeneration. This is a ground-up movement, not a top-down tyrannical mindset. It is God moving in the hearts of men and women to repent and believe in the finished work of Christ. So if a man can be regenerated, 
and in turn families can be restored and churches revived through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, so can the state and every area of life be transformed. Are not the state and all areas of life made up of men and women? The gospel changes the hearts and minds of men and women, and they in turn are called to be salt and light. When light enters darkness, it swallows up the darkness. Only when light is covered or hidden does darkness prevail. Now, for the second point from Gary DeMar. It's on theonomic ethics. Quote, Number two, the continuing validity and applicability of the whole law of God, including, but not limited to, the Mosaic case laws, is the standard by which individuals, families, churches, and civil governments should conduct their affairs. End quote. So what I've done here is I'm going to give you a basic outline of theonomy. And so here we go. Number one. All of God's law word is binding unless explicitly or implicitly abrogated, rescinded, modified, or changed by God in the scriptures. The moral character of God is expressed in the moral law of God. God is immutable. He's unchanging. Therefore, his moral character is immutable and unchanging. Number two, the two greatest commandments, love God and love man, summarize the Decalogue. Love God equals the first four commandments or the first table of the law. Love man equals the last six commandments or the second table of the law. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 42, asks, What is the sum of the Ten Commandments? And the answer is, The sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor is ourselves. Point three, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is a summary of the moral law. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 41, asks, Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? And the answer, the moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. Point four, the Decalogue is further defined in and applied by using the general equity of the case laws or the civil laws. You would not know that bestiality or marriage to your mother was a violation of God's law by looking at the Decalogue alone. These moral laws give further definition to the Ten Commandments in their principal use. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, 19.4 says, To them also, as a body politic, he gave sundry, or various, judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now, further than the general equity, thereof may require. Point five, the ceremonial law or the restorative law was the gospel and figures that pointed to the coming Messiah and his substitutionary work as the final sacrifice. Once and for all his elect. These laws are no longer observed in types and shadows, but are now observed in Christ. Point six, God's law word is to be the standard by which we govern and live in every area of life. Now Jesus said in Matthew five seventeen through 19 Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. 
Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 8-11. through 11, Speaking about the law, he says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And then Jesus, in the Great Commission, says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." Now we move on to the third point from Gary DeMar, and it has to do with post-millennialism. Quote, A victorious view of the future progress of the kingdom of God prior to the return of Christ is foundational for the building of a Christian civilization. End quote. So the redemptive plan of God is a complete redemption that includes every sphere of life, the whole created order, the world, the cosmos. It is not only a selfish me-redemption of individuals. Let me read to you Romans eight, nineteen through 25 For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was not willingly subjected to vanity, but because of him who subjected it on hope that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only so, but ourselves also, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, awaiting adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what anyone sees, why does he also hope for it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. So you see, consistent postmillennialism leads to theonomic reconstruction and vice versa. God's law word is the only holy, righteous, and just standard by which God has instructed his image bearers to live. This is always instituted through the gospel. Our weapons are not carnal. This is why most of us theonomists are post-mill. We believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, men and women will be regenerated more and more as time goes on. It could happen in 100 years or 10,000 years. It doesn't matter because we have been commissioned by our King who reigns now and is putting all of His enemies under His feet until the last enemy is defeated. All this because of the numerous promises in Scripture that say that He shall have dominion. It is our job to be ambassadors, light and salt to the world, teaching the nations to obey all that He has commanded, which one of these commands is to repent and believe the gospel. 
Let's move on now to point four from Gary DeMar's outline. This one has to do with presuppositional apologetics. And I quote, Presuppositional apologetics, as opposed to evidentialism, establishes that God's word is self-authenticating and is the judge of all other supposed authorities, human reason included. End quote. We are to presuppose that the revealed word of God contains all truth and is the standard by which we are to live. Now, the simplest way for me to explain precept is the way I heard Saiten Bruggenkate put it one time. It went something like this. He said, read your Bible, believe it, and then share it. It's really that simple. we got to stop giving up the ground to the enemies of God. There is no neutrality. The enemy understands this, and so must we Christians. Then we move on to the fifth point, and this one has to do with sphere sovereignty, covenantalism. Quote, A decentralized social order where civil government is only one legitimate government among many other governments, including family government and ecclesiastical church government, is the basis for a free and orderly society. End quote. So decentralization is key. There are four basic spheres of sovereignty or forms of government. They are self, family, church, and state. All authority is given by God, and He is the ultimate lawgiver. Therefore, any law that is unjust is no law at all, and we are not bound to obey. Look at what the scriptures say about what proper God-ordained government is supposed to look like. We know that God is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. And he has his ministers in different spheres of life. We have families in which God has placed the father as the head, with his wife as his helpmate. We have our churches in which God has his ordained ministers that we are to submit to as the ones who are to watch over our souls as under-shepherds held accountable to the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Then we have the civil magistrate, who is God's minister to us for good. Now, in any one of these spheres, we can have rebellious man in the position of leadership, and they can seek to lead autonomously instead of following God's law. That is when we have tyranny and oppression. Now, Gary DeMar finishes off by saying, quote, One does not have to hold to all of these distinctives to be thought of as a Reconstructionist. Although the belief that personal regeneration precedes family, church, civil, and societal regeneration is foundational to all theories of social reform. End quote. So that is a basic outline of what Christian Reconstruction is. One criticism that is aimed at theonomists is that we are legalists and believe in works salvation. That cannot be farther from the truth. It is just one of the many straw men that are erected and then easily burned by pointing to a truncated gospel. A good news, a gospel that divorces the individual from the, from the kingdom right at the start. A gospel that deals only with the entrance to the kingdom, but not the good news of the kingdom. It's as if the entrance is the gospel. But no, brothers and sisters, the good news of the kingdom of God encompasses all of the kingdom and its redemption. Those who oppose any mention of Christian reconstruction or theonomic ethics, I ask to read Ephesians 2, 8-10. Most Reformed Christians can quote verses 8 and 9 verbatim, 
It is the mantra for justification by grace through faith and not of works. And to this we say a hearty amen. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But most people do not memorize verse 10. They stop at verse 9. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So why are we saved by grace through faith? Verse 10 has the answer. To walk in the good works that God has ordained that we should walk in. Why is it that when you hear this passage, verse 10 is not usually included with verses 8 and 9? Because in modern Christianity, the pendulum has swung so hard to the opposite side of work salvation and landed on the side of antinomianism, an anti-law view that even the mention of good works is said under bated breath so as not to be labeled a legalist. But no one is arguing for salvation by works. That indeed is a damnable heresy. But we are asking is, now that we are justified by grace through faith, how shall we then live? Again, verses 10, or I'm sorry, verse 10 gives us marching orders. Now that we are freely justified, what do we do? Wait for the rapture? Continue living the way we did prior to being regenerated, justified, and adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God? No, God forbid. We must walk in good works. But what does that look like? What are these good works? How do we walk in them? The most simple answer is to love God and love your neighbor. How do we love God and our neighbor? What does that entail and what does that look like? Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It is obedience to God's law, theos, nomos, theonomy. What commandments? The same commandments that Jesus tells us to teach the nations, all of them. The Decalogue, which is a summary of the law, of which the case laws give it a broader definition. This is the law that we are to meditate on day and night, as the psalmist says. Read Psalm 119. That is the mindset of a theonomist. The Bible is not a pietistic revelation of God. We must start thinking ethically and judicially, as the scriptures show us. The very gospel is ethical judicial. Mankind is guilty. That's, an, that's a judicial statement. And God, as the just, ethical, judge, judicial, of all the earth, demands that the offenders, judicial, of his law, ethical, pay for their transgressions, judicial, in order for justice to be fulfilled. We can never be pardoned because God is just, and there must be a just recompense for sin. Therefore, Christ Jesus, the God-man, the only perfect mediator between God and man, becomes the propitiation for those whom are His, expiating sin and clothing His people with imputed righteousness by grace so undeserved. Again, the very fact that Christ had to die is ethical judicial. The Great Commission is to make disciples by baptizing and teaching the nations all that God commanded. That is ethical judicial. Oh, and as far as politics, isn't Jesus king of kings? Isn't it the gospel of the kingdom? That right there 
is as political as it gets. Until next time, grace and peace in Christ our King. Godspeed. Godspeed.